Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast, and I'm super excited for today's conversation because it fits so much with the title of my podcast in the sense that how do we merge the digital and physical worlds to do really cool things and to live lives of, of fullness? And so today I'm with Christina Crook, and, and I'm just going to lay this out, and then I'm going to just jump in and ask her a question. She's a writer, speaker, and podcast host. Uh, she's been studying the relationship between joy and technology for over a decade. And I like this on her website. It says, whether you're seeking presence, peace, focus, or productivity, Christina has shaped tools and teachings to reconnect habits with happiness. And, and Christina, you're the author of Joy of Missing Out, Finding Balance in a Wired World. And there's so many questions I have for you, but but just thank you for being here. But tell tell us how you got interested in, in this work and then really kind of delve into what does that mean, the joy of missing out? Mm-hmm. Well, like many things, uh, it started with my own challenge around technology. Uh, I wanted to figure out what kind of person, what kind of parent, what kind of creative professional, you know, I was a professional writer, I would be without the everyday demands of the internet. And so more than 10 years ago now, I actually took a 31 day fast from the uh, internet. It's interesting, we're recording this right before the start of Lent. It was sort of like a, a, a long-term fast. Um, and you know, more people are doing those types of fasts around social media, these types of things. But I actually took away the entire internet. So I couldn't you know, text, I couldn't access Google, I couldn't map. Um, and so what I did during that time instead is I actually used an older technology. I used a typewriter and wrote a letter to the same friend every day and mailed it through snail mail and other technology. Uh, we don't think so much as, as a technology, but it is a technology very much so. Um, and chronicled the daily experience of what it was like to sort of untether um, my mind, my creative practice, my parenting, my relationships from the internet and uh, like any fast, it was very challenging at first. It was a detox in the truest sense of the word. Uh, but what I quickly discovered was just a quietness of mind that I'd been hungering for for such a long time. I realized that all of the little five minute and 10 minute and 20 minute check ins I made over the course of the day actually banked up to a huge amount of time that I felt like I never had. Uh, we always say, you know, I have no time, I have no margin, but actually we're giving away huge amounts of margin, daily margin to unintentional techno technology use. So that's where the joy of missing out the book began. Um, I expanded off of that experiment into the writing of the book, the first book. Um, and what is JOMO, what is the joy of missing out? Well, it is a it is the antithesis to FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? That constant pressure to try to do and be and experience everything all of the time. But the reality is, is we're all missing out all of the time. So it's actually not something we need to fear. And so what I teach is really the joy we can step into when we intentionally use technology. So, so in that, in that it's really interesting because you also wrote a blog that's on your website that I'll make sure to link to and, and share out with people that I found really interesting because there is part of what you say is, you know, find joy through digital mindfulness, but then you also talk about the intentionality that's needed for that. And, and 
and and then you wrote a, a blog called in, you know kind of intentionality versus mindfulness hmm. um and so i'm wondering maybe if if you'd start there because i think then it can kind of take us into what you've discovered and what you've learned and maybe even some some tips as people kind of go into this but how do you differentiate between intentionality, mindfulness, and how do the two then intersect in, in very important ways to lead to that greater joy? Hmm. That's a great question. I think I'm going to focus because to be honest, I haven't, uh, <laughs> you didn't give me um, any prep on that. I haven't gone deep on that <laughs> though specifically in a long time, but what I will do is focus on the, on the mindfulness piece. So um, I interviewed Helen Langer from Harvard university. She's considered the mother of mindfulness. Um, she wrote the book, literally the book called mindfulness 25 years ago and popularized the study of it. And she defines mindfulness simply as actively noticing new things. I love that definition of mindfulness. And so one of the things I do when I write and speak about how to have a healthier relationship with technology is um, I teach the examine, the examine of conscience, which comes from, um, right, it, it's a Jesuit practice. Um, and I have a very simplified version I've learned for many years of uh, doing this with both Christian audiences, but mostly with non-Christian audiences. If you say a Christian practice, you know, people sort of get their backs up, you can see them physically, you know, um, recoil. Uh, but if you call it an age old contemplative practice, people get quite excited and curious about that. And so uh, the simplified version I have of that is asking yourself at the end of each, each day, what today was most life giving? And what today was most life taking? So that's the mindfulness piece, actively noticing new things. What today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but right now in this moment, reflecting back on this day today, what was most life-giving and what was most life-taking? And I find through just bringing that awareness, you know, two minutes, five minutes, writing two columns, writing those things down, it is so... <laughs> It's so unsurprising at this point how many things squarely line up on the life-taking column that have to do with technology, and 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 specifically the unintentional use of technology. We're using it mindlessly. There's no forethought. It's just a habit loop, right? Where we're just going through the motions. We pick up our phone. We went to do one thing, but oh, look, TikTok's on the home page, And so I'm just going to look at it for a minute. But guess what? The algorithm <laughs> knows and it is feeding us, right? 10, 20 more of those videos. So um, when I'm talking about mindfulness and intentionality, those are those are some of the pieces I'm talking about. No, I, I love it. And and you talk about it and you mentioned Lent and you mentioned, you know, like, you know, that practice. And there are these places where, you know, it, it is interesting to like, how can we be mindful about how we use things, but then how can we be intentional about taking things away and, and saying no to things and creating space to actively notice new things? Because that's even one of the research practices that they've discovered is that, creativity decreases because boredom decreases. Mm -hmm. And so in that, how do we create those boring spaces that oftentimes we fill up with technology that can create to greater tech, you know, greater creativity or you know, the accidental relationship sometimes that might happen. 
So as you're working with people and you you kind of you, you get into this and I love it how you frame it is to reconnect habits with happiness. And so it's saying, hey, we want to be happy and we're not being very mindful, purposeful, intentional about getting there. And it's these habits in between. Mm-hmm. How do you help people restructure, refocus, redevelop, or how do you even like make sure that you're doing it too, knowing the places where it's like, hey, this is where maybe I let it get, you know, out of skew for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've got one practice, which you can probably read on almost any, you know, article or blog post now about technology use. I frame it a little bit differently, but it's sort of the morning and evening practice. And I call it honoring the holy hours. Those, you know, that hour when you're first waking up and then that hour is you're just going to bed. So the exam is obviously a great practice for that unwind hour, you know, a reflective practice at the end of the day and then beginning of the day, you know, not with the urgency or false urgency, right, of inboxes, um, you know, different messaging streams, Slack, whatever the case may be, you know, the demands around your work, but really protecting that those that front and back end. Um, another practice I have um, is a regular digital house cleaning. So depending on when your listeners are getting this, I'm running another one on March 9th. This is something I offer quite regularly, but I'll, I'll give I'll give you guys a little bit of um, a do-it-yourself version of it. Uh, it has to do with social media channels, but you can use it for lots of different digital um, platforms that you have in your life. And so if you want to kind of clean things out, this is something I recommend doing on a weekly basis or at a minimum, a monthly basis is let's say you go into your social media channels. So we were chatting before this, this podcast, you were saying Twitter's your favorite. Okay. So we'll use Twitter. Um, So go into the accounts that you're following and you're going to ask three questions in sequence. The first question is, who is this? Can you just answer right now who or what this is? If you don't know anymore, then you can go ahead and unfollow, okay? The second one is, is this important? Is this is this the content that you're, I'm engaging with here? Is it still important to me? Does it have value? Does it, does it even bring me joy? It could just be like a joyful account, right? We also follow accounts that just like are humorous or we like the aesthetic or it's inspirational. So asking that second question, is this important or does this bring me joy? And then the third question is, is do I want to bring this with me? You know, that content at some point had value for you. That's why you chose to follow it. But it might not be a value to you anymore. So do I want to bring this with me? So that's another. So anyway, so that's a set of practices that I I recommend to regularly clean it out. Because reality is, is we keep our homes, our cars, right? Our spaces cleaned and cluttered so we can do our best creative work. You're talking about that boredom piece. But if we're constantly keeping digital clutter, it makes it very hard to get to the content and to the work um, that we really want to spend our time on. So that's why this practice is really important. Well, and then you've got, you know, you, you give the extreme. I think it is kind of that digital detox, right, where it's like you go all in and then you've got the digital house cleaning. So help help me understand this, because part of this is like, so someone like me, I spend a lot of time, you know, in a sense by myself because of health issues, right? And that's where Twitter became this great extension for me into a broader world and kept me connected with friends, which then Mm -hmm. also has some of the negative impacts of too much. 
and and I'm mindful. I mean, I think mindful of that, but then also I struggle with with the parameters. I, I'm wondering, especially as you you know, as a parent, but then work with other parents and in these spaces, and we're talking to a lot of educators on here. How do we, you know, because you even mentioned the typewriter, it is a technology. How do we see the technology as an opportunity for being part of that happiness, being part of that joy, but then how do we kind of get, because I think a lot of people will just go straight in and say, hey, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, Um, or it's negative. Whereas how do we, how do we help even reframe our understanding of saying, Hey, this, this is, it can be a good, but Mm -hmm. it can be a good that there's too much of. And then, and then maybe in that sense as, as a parent or as somebody like, I I think there is this, how do I do it for myself? But then like, how do I do it at age appropriate levels with and for my, my kids? Right. Great question. Um, so I'll share uh, a study that comes from a an emotional ethnographer at Pratt University. Her name is Dr. Pamela Pavliskak. And she did, um, she had people track their technology experiences in journals over a number of months. And she's done this now with thousands of um, participants. And what she's found is that people who are happiest with technology use it differently. They use it for creativity, community, and care. And care can be for others, but it can also be for self-care. So I found this extremely illuminating. It matched up almost exactly with um, what was coming out of the interviews I was doing with all kinds of you know, top-level digital leaders on my podcast, the Gemocast. Um, and what I loved about that was it kind of mapped to I talk about the false promises of big technology so their convenience right comfort and control right those are this is what Amazon is offering us ultimate comfort don't have to leave your couch convenience it's coming to your front door and control right there's there's basically no uncontrollable variable in the Amazon prime experience and so none of that the problem with that is it doesn't actually bring joy. The things that usually bring us joy are mostly inconvenient, like relationships or, you know, pastimes that engage our bodies, our our creative faculties, all these types of things. Okay. They're, they're out of our control. Like humans are pretty uncontrollable um, and, and uncomfortable, right? There's an element of discomfort um, in these things and new, you know, the joy of new, new experiences. And so that's why I was so excited to discover Dr. Palasek's work because that made so much sense to me that people that are happiest with technology are using it really intentionally. They're using it for creativity, creating, making things, sharing it with others, intentionally connecting and community and then care. Okay. So resourcing themselves some, somehow through the internet or being a resource to other people. So I think when we're talking about being educators, uh, when we're talking about being parents, being in some kind of leadership role with people that are younger than us, um, framing it in that way of, is this, is this helping you grow in creativity creatively? Is this helping you to connect more deeply with yourself or with others? Is this helping you to care? Um, is a really helpful framing. My children are age nine, 11, and 13. So I am like right in the mix. 
<laughs> I understand this question. Very practically, what we do in our home is our kids do have iPads. That was primarily because of COVID and online learning. We were one of the most locked down cities in the world um, here in Toronto, Canada. Uh, so our kids can message their friends whenever they want. Um, they are they remain on the main floor. So they remain in common areas. And we have a monthly sort of check-in protocol, which I'm happy to share with you. We actually recently re rewrote our screen time principles. And uh, one of the most cutthroat ones we added, which was not actually from me, but from my husband, was entertainment is not a right. Which I found very powerful. Um, I don't, we do not have a right to be entertained, but we're told everywhere, just relax, you had a hard day, be entertained. And this is what we're pushing back on in the culture when it comes to young people. So it, it is interesting because if, if you've experienced that in Toronto, where it was locked down and it was virtual and it was virtual for a long time. And I was in, I'm in San Jose, California, where we were virtual for not as long as Toronto, but pretty long time. And and we know that kids, I mean, I love the creativity, community care side of things that, that you mentioned, but especially to be in community, to be present with each other, to be in those places and, and that whole kind of conversation about entertainment. And we saw it um, and we're seeing students kind of and kids re-enter into kind of normalcy. And, and really, mm -hmm. I mean, we're seeing this, especially in adolescent years, you know, is is the struggle to to re-engage, the struggle to, uh, what are you discovering just even about the, the thoughtfulness, the intentionality, the mindfulness, but even some of these practices of the house cleaning and the detox that might help schools, mm -hmm. it might help parents help their kids kind of make that transition rather than just, I think what we often do in schools too often is we just throw up our hands and we blame everybody else. And and instead of saying, hey, you know what, like we went all in on this, how do we begin to pull back? How do we begin mm -hmm. to create new spaces? How do we begin to help our students think about in these formative years, this year or two years that they were, were kind of, this was their primary mode of operation in life. How do we begin to help them strip that away to build something better, to build something new, and then to take what they discovered and, 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 and maybe use that in, in the next steps of their own lives. So I'll shamelessly plug here that I'm actually working on a huge project right now with Virginia Tech University, helping them create a digital, a multi-year digital well-being program for their 30,000 students. We're just piloting right now in select classrooms and dining halls and residence halls, but that's expanding in the fall to their first year experience students, which is 10,000 students. So some of the things we're doing is we're we're layering in education, inspiration, um, and education, inspiration, and awareness building. So actually, we're going to do that in the opposite way. So awareness building, inspirational stories, and then educational pieces. So here's one example. In the classroom, we are creating a series of pretty clever and playful video spots, um, encouraging students to engage with their neighbor. Okay, they might low-hanging fruit, right? They're, they could they're, they could be sitting beside their best friend and they just don't know it yet. Or their study partner, right? That'll decrease their dropout rates by a, like a huge percentage by making a connection just even in that very first class on day one. So we're we're educating the faculty on 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 how to engage the students 
in that way, you know, don't spend day one in the classroom just going through the syllabi. Like a student can read that on their own. Like engage them together in the classroom. Um, I've made a recommendation to them to remove financial barriers to joyful pastimes. They have an amazing break zone in their in Squire, in their student building, and the students have to pay to play darts, to play pool, to, you know, bowl. Like, I, so I'm, I'm, so one of the recommendations is, yeah, to take away the financial constraint on that and make it free for students and make it phone free. So there's a phone check-in and then they're engaging, right? Um, we, there needs to be a, a it's going to be a number of years, right? Of bridging back um, a reconnection. Like I loved how you were phrasing it. It was such an insightful question about bridging students back into being reminded of the joys of those in-person connections. And there's huge social anxiety. I remember the first time I was asked um, by Psychology Today in an interview about FOGO, the fear of going out, right? This precedes COVID. This is a question I got in like 2016, right? The the level of social anxiety um, on campuses is unprecedented. Students are languishing. The best and brightest are coming back, dragging their feet on day one. That's what I'm hearing at Virginia Tech. So it's really, I think, creating opportunities for students to engage in the joys of the real world and really like hand-holding them through that. Um, at home, practically, what I'm doing with my own kids is I'm helping them throw little parties like they're not hanging out with groups anymore. So I'm like, you want to have a little Valentine's party? Here's what it can look like. Let me help you invite your friends. The kids come and like they're getting texts for days and weeks after. It was such a fun time. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for inviting me. Right. They they don't know how. So as the adults, like we need to help bridge that for them at home and on the campuses. Oh, I love that. So many so many things to think about, especially, I mean, I think about in our work with schools um, of just kind of like taking the barriers away. I think I love the idea of the trade, right? You turn in a phone and then, you know, like, hey, you can play darts or you get the shoes for the bowling alley or whatever it might be. Um, but then but then that that thing, I think the third thing, and, and I've been really thoughtful of this as I get older, but then as I get in the space, how can I create the spaces that in that invite people in that maybe naturally happened in the past or mm-hmm. maybe that I experienced because I'm getting to be older right you know and so I feel some of the generational change for me um but then the the risk factor right or that you, you called it the fear of going out I'd never heard that but it definitely because you have kids that are driving less you know, and, and the fear of getting licensed and driving or just even some of the risk factors that come with youth that often come with with the benefit of adventure experience mm-hmm. and all those. What would be, you know, as, as we close out our conversation, I can't wait to get people connected with you and, and send them your way and, and then just even continue these conversations. What would be as we kind of go into this spring season? where, you know, you're in Toronto, it's been a rainy winter in California. Like, what would be your encouragements to say, hey, take advantage of of this transition of season? What Hmm. might be a couple tips that you would give people who are listening to say, use this time and, and maybe think about a couple things that you could do 
And what would be maybe those tips that you would have to to push him forward into the spring and in and maybe outdoors a little bit more or into mm-hmm. relationship or into community or whatever it might be? Just run with this the spring, the spring cleaning theme. So one of the things you can do, I encourage you to do a spring cleaning so you can jump in um, on my resources. So ChristinaCrook.com forward slash free resources to join in in one of my spring cleaning uh, digital house cleaning events. I also have a digital house cleaning uh, replay inside of my course, the Joma method for you to do anytime you want. So all those resources are at my website. Um, Here in Toronto, once the winter thaw happens, there's actually a lot of garbage out in the neighborhood. And so I, a wonderful thing to do with students, with young people is to do a sort of a neighborhood uh, cleanup, right? It's looking out for your neighbors. It's teaching them, right, to look beyond themselves. Uh, You know, we can walk through our neighborhoods with earbuds in. So many people do, right, and they're not really aware of what's going on in their local area. And so a spring cleanup might be a neat idea. And then the final thing, spring is a time for gardening, for planting new things, um, being embodied, the joy of cultivating the ground. There's so many beautiful biblical principles around the planting and tending of a garden. And there's such joy in planting a thing and seeing it grow. And that goes for any age, whether it's a five-year-old or a 75-year-old. So those are my those are my recommendations. I love it. I love it. Christina. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your experience. And I'm excited to get people connected with you. Thank you so much for having me.